So we're, um, we're at the end of an eight-week series, um, you'll have known. We're in, in a series called The Upside Down, which um, if you're new today or you haven't been tracking with us, it's this series looking at the Beatitudes, the, the Beatitudes or the blessings as they're known from the gospel, specifically the gospel of Matthew. There are eight or nine, depending on how you count it, Beatitudes um, in, the, in the gospels. And we've been looking at that. Um, the Beatitudes give us this picture, essentially, of the way that God sees the world, the way that God orders the world. It's essentially God's longing for the world. Um, it's his full disclosure. And it's actually, a, it's actually also an alternative, it's a template for an alternative way of being human in the world um, that we get to see. Uh, and it, lo- it shows us how to be human as we align ourselves into the reality of God's kingdom breaking in. The way that God sees the world and the way that we're human in light of that. I want to read them in full very quickly. Can I do that? I want to just read all of the Beatitudes because today is our last day in this series. It's been a really good series. Um, It's been challenging. It's been provoking. It's been comforting. Um, Let me just read Matthew 5, 1 to 12 for us as we begin. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets, who were before you. As we said in school, here ends the reading. So we're going to explore the last Beatitudes today. The last two, essentially, um, uh, they're sort of really connected. We're going to cover those today. Remember, before we begin, remember the Beatitudes here, as I say, are a way of seeing the world the way God sees it. They're not these nice platitudes that we put on calendars and bumper stickers on our car and all of the rest of it. These are describing a reality. These verses are describing a reality, God's reality, something scriptures, as I've said, calls the kingdom of God. It's a re-envisioning or a reordering of the world as it was intended to be according to the values that God has. So we call the series The Upside Down. Because I suppose, in a sense, it's so different to the way the world is ordered, uh, the way that power works in the world, the way that violence works in the world, the way that money works in the world. The way, um, it's so different. Like, as Jesus said, the first will be last and the last will be first. It's so different to the way the world works. In Jesus' world, in God's world, in God's kingdom, winners are losers, in a sense, and losers are winners. It's upside down. But I suppose if we were really calling it correctly, we probably should have called the series The Right Side Up because the way that God sees the world, as seen in the Beatitudes, is actually the way that the world was created and intended to be. And in fact, the way that the world actually is now, it's sort of gone wrong. 
So Jesus here is actually showing us as he teaches on the mount, the Beatitudes, the way that God actually sees it and the way that it's intended. Shalom, as, uh, as, as Johnny was talking about last week, shalom, the peace and the reign of God in the world where everything is as it should be. And he does that by describing these different types of people. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. People who can truly claim that the kingdom of God is theirs can truly claim that today. So the Beatitudes, it's this announcement of the way God sees the world. Remember, it's not the way that we earn favor. These aren't rules. These aren't uh, laws. These aren't behaviors that we perform. They're simply descriptions of what is valuable in God's kingdom. So it's just remember to, it's just good to rem- remind ourselves of that as we dive in today. So we're going to look at the, the last couple of, of Beatitudes. Today's Beatitudes. Let's do it. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So you want to be part of this? You want to be part of this kingdom? You want these, this kingdom to describe uh, your reality? You want to see the world the way God sees it? And the first thing we can learn today from this beatitude is this, that there's going to be some opposition to living this life out. There's going to be some pressure. There's going to be some persecution. Or as Paul Simon says, blessed are the sat upon, spat upon, ratted upon, if you know that song. Let's talk about this first, right? Christians are a bit odd. Yeah, really odd, like in a sense. Do you remember when you went back at school, whether you were like a Christian or not a Christian at school, whether you identified as a Christian or not, there was Christians in your year and they're all a bit odd. Like let's face it, even if you were one, Christians are weird and they're everywhere because we're in Northern Ireland, so they're everywhere. And there wasn't Chance the Rapper or Beyonce, so it wasn't cool like it is now, but it's probably not cool now either to be fair. So being Jesus or being being a Jesus follower, being a Christian isn't really cool. And you got teased. Well, I certainly I did, or certainly seen Christians got teased about being a, a Jesus freak or like was it the God part of the God Squad? It felt like hard work when you're trying to work your way up the social pecking order, um, and find yourself accepted, um, in school. It's it's such an important thing to feel accepted, right? And so to be a Christian ain't exactly kudos, you know. But persecution is sort of a tricky thing for us, if we're being honest, to talk about in the West because the reality is that we're standing, aren't we, on nearly 2,000 years of culture-formed Christianity that has shaped our laws and our education and our healthcare and our politics and the whole landscape of our society. We're free today to practice our faith and to speak freely. And even though the tide is turned, even though it was our series a few months ago, Resident Aliens, we're aliens in a, in, a, in a strange place. Even though that tide has shifted and we're now in this, what some might call a post-Christian world, a more secular world, even though that has shifted, ultimately speaking, we're so free and incredibly blessed in the West to be able to worship and to, and to gather like this and to practice our faith. But persecution comes in all forms. It comes in all forms. And it's important to talk about that, spanning the whole spectrum of just being teased, to being mocked, um, 
to being sat upon, spat upon, ratted upon, right the way through to some serious imprisonment, as we know, in the, pers- in the world. People that are tortured even for their faith and in extreme cases die for their faith. And being uncool at school for Jesus is a bit far away from perhaps violent death as a martyr. And I suppose I was poking a little bit of fun of it. But in all seriousness, it is all, as we might say, opposition that Jesus is speaking about. If we begin to understand this beatitude correctly, then we begin to understand that it all does matter. We've been uh, looking at this paraphrase of the beatitudes by an American pastor called Brian Zand to help us just understand the Beatitudes. Here's what he says about this particular Beatitude. He says, blessed are those who are mocked and misunderstood for the right reasons. For the kingdom of heaven comes to earth amid such persecution. So this Beatitude, it's not just speaking about everybody who's persecuted. It's speaking about those that are persecuted for a particular reason. As Brian Zahn says it, for the right reasons, for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. So this beatitude is actually more concerned nearly about the reasons that you may face opposition or be persecuted than the form of persecution itself, whether it is in extreme forms or whether it's just a daily upheaval you find in your workplace or your family or wherever you are that is real and is coming against you. I think it's really helpful because we may not faith, face death for our faith today, but we can indeed face opposition. And it's the reason that we face opposition that is important to consider. Because let's face it, just because you suffer or are persecuted doesn't mean that you're doing it because of righteousness. You might just be a bit of an idiot. You might just be a lazy person. You might just be an unkind person. It's not because you're doing the right thing. We don't like uh, playing the victim card. Christians are not called to play the victim card. We're not called to be gluttons for punishment who actively seek to be ostracized and feel hard done by because we haven't been accepted by the group. That is not the way of Jesus. We're not called to fight for our rights, in a sense, as Christians, because our rights have been undermined or denied. In fact, it's a bit of a side note, but I sort of think when it comes to Christians campaigning venomously for their rights, something doesn't sit right with me sometimes. Rights, rights, rights. As if we haven't had rights or have rights, campaigning and protesting for our rights as a victim is like the de facto secular religious practice of our day. Before I alienate everybody in the room, of course we should campaign for people's rights and for justice. We've discussed that already in the Beatitudes. We are to be peacemakers. We are to be those who thirst after righteousness, thirst for justice. And it is so true. We need to fight for people's rights and seek justice. But I think the vision of the world that God sees is actually a bit more concerned about Christians' responsibilities than their rights. It's about our engagement with the world. We, as the people of Jesus, are called to this higher altitude kind of living. We're called to rise. We're called to fight and contend for the world not simply defend ourselves as Christians, not simply defend our own rights and not to frame ourselves 
as victims, but in fact, the people that are living in the way of Jesus have been freed in Christ from the fears of death, can sing it is well with my soul defiantly so that we can be a radically freed people to live as a people of love, as a people of faith and fight for others, not for ourselves, not to identify as victims, but to identify as those who advocate for the common good and the peace of our society. And I think when we do that, when we take our responsibilities, when we live the Jesus way like that, we're going to get opposition. But we don't seek the opposition. We're going to get opposition. We're going to be persecuted perhaps. We may be mocked or misunderstood, but it's because of righteousness' sake. It's because of righteousness sake. It's because we see the world a different way. We see the world the way God sees it. Many of you right now in this room are facing opposition every day just to do the right thing, to be people of integrity and honesty and truth, to be people that live lives of love and mercy and grace to not drop down to another level to enter that, but to actually rise up to that higher altitude, to be peacemakers, to not participate in the conflict, but to be people that make peace, to be those that comfort those who are in mourning. We're called to be a people that are engaged in enemy love, who turn the other cheek, who seek forgiveness and who forgive. These are not trivial matters these dynamics whether they're in your school whether they're in your family whether they're in your local community whether they're in your yeah your own family they can be painful and difficult and defining because it's upheaval and it's opposition and it would be wrong for us to overlook this kind of pressure and downplay it There are people in this room who identify as followers of Jesus and your everyday life is not easy and you find that you are encountering people who can belittle you or mock you, or even worse, those who maybe misunderstand you completely because they put you in that box with what they think is Christianity, where they think that you're an intolerant or misogynistic or homophobic or sectarian, and they brand you with all those labels when you want to live the way of Jesus in love for the sake of the world. And you're misunderstood. Jesus says today that you choose that way. Choose to be a people of the Beatitudes, the Beatitude way, Beatitude people. Then you're blessed. You're blessed when you live for righteousness sake and you love this way in the world. So here's a question we should ask. Why are Why persecution? Why opposition? Why is this thing that we're doing called following Jesus sometimes difficult? The consequences of living as a beatitude people is not because we go looking for it. It's not because we play a victim card or we're gluttons for punishment. But it's because being fully human in the way of Jesus is truly subversive. It's a truly subversive threat to the world and I want to explain how because the Beatitudes we've talked about this before they're shocking they're shocking for those hearing Jesus teachings on the as Jesus went up the mountain he spoke to the crowd in first century Palestine and they heard Jesus teaching the Beatitudes it was the same response as we might hear today 
the mainstream way of living and being in the world is under threat if we take the Beatitudes seriously. Here's what Brian Zahn says. We've read this quote many times before. He says, the Beatitudes are deliberately designed to shock us because if, if we're not shocked by the Beatitudes, it's because we've tamed them with a patronizing sentimentality. And being sentimental about Jesus is the religious way of ignoring Jesus. Too often the Beatitudes are set aside into the category of nice things Jesus said that I don't really understand. So why, why the opposition? Why is Christianity sometimes difficult? Why the upheaval? It depends where you're standing. It depends where you're standing, whether that you'll find these teachings of Jesus and this vision of the world a comfort and inspiring to you or a threat that's going to undermine the mainstream way of living in the world that you're engaging in. It depends where you are standing. If the Beatitudes describe your heart's desire for justice, for righteousness, then you will see the Beatitudes as a comfort. You will see the world the way God sees it. But if you do not see described in the Beatitudes your way of being in the world, then the Beatitudes will unsettle you. Maybe this morning they'll unsettle you, they'll agitate you, they'll maybe even confuse you. Because ultimately they're a threat to the, way, the world's way of ordering itself, as I've spoken to before. The Beatitudes are a threat to the way the world orders itself by power, by money, and the axis of violence. Those in power who order and maintain our world the way it is, where, the, where, the, where, where there, there are certain winners and there are certain losers, where there is disparity of income, of, 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 there is like such an equality gap, where there is injustice, where there is a few that control all of the wealth, all of the justice issues that we t- touched on already in our series, the way that the world is ordered and maintained, and those that participate in that ordering and that maintaining, the Beatitudes are undermining that whole way of being in the world. The Beatitudes are a threat. The Beatitudes are incendiary. And the early Christians knew this themselves. The early disciples of Jesus knew this themselves. In two ways, they endured opposition. From the Roman authorities, because they were pursuing God's justice in the world. And what did this do? To, the Rome, to Rome, to the empire of Rome. It undermined the peace of Rome. It undermined Pax Romana. It undermined their imperial claims that there was peace in the empire because there was not peace in the empire. It was a hollow sham and Beatitudes people exposed the hollow sham of the way the world was ordered in that empire. And every empire since is the same. The second way the early disciples of Jesus encountered opposition was from the religious authorities. Because following Jesus is controversial. Because it speaks about opening the doors of the kingdom to the misfits, to the sat upon, the spat upon, the ratted upon, to those who don't fit their view of religious righteousness, the meek, the lowly, the poor in spirit. And we see this in scripture as well. The scriptures speak to this truth. Look, let's, let's, let's look at a couple of passages from the apostle Peter who actually ended up being a martyr himself. He speaks to this opposition. He says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you 
as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. He also says this, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. I love that phrase, because they're conscious of God. They've got a consciousness uh, of God. They're conscious toward God and God's presence in the world. They have a sacramental worldview in a sense. They see God in everything. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. I'm going to tell you a story about Oscar Romero. Oscar Romero was this, he was a conservative archbishop. Uh, He was a bit bit opposed, in a sense, to some progressive liberation type theology. Um, He lived uh, in the 20th century. And uh, there was some theology that was trying to, it was popular among those that were trying to help the poor farmers in El Salvador. And Oscar Romero was deeply impacted when a, pr- a friend of his, a priest, was actually assassinated as a result of this commitment to social justice. And through weekly homilies on national radio, Romero advocated an end to the repression of people in El Salvador, thus making himself an enemy of the government and the military. He was not successful in ending the violence. More than 75,000 Sal- Salvadorians would eventually be killed. One million would leave the country. And another million would be left homeless. Because of his prophetic witness following the way of Jesus, Romero became a target for assassination. As he was saying mass on March 24th, 1980, he was shot and he was killed. He said this, a bishop will die for seeing his own future. He actually said this himself. A bishop will die, but the church of God and the people will not will not perish, will not perish. Which reminds me of this saying, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit or bless others' lives. In a sense, as a people of the way of Jesus, we are a gift to the world. And in dying, we actually bring life to the world. So as we face some opposition, as we face difficulty, trying to, follow the way of Jesus, trying to pursue justice in the world, trying to fight for, for righteousness. It might be helpful to listen to Oscar Romero's words. To take a step back for just one moment, I feel like these might encourage us. He said this, it helps now and then to step back and take the long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts. It's beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is the Lord's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is another way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No sermon says all that should be said. No prayer ever fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives includes everything. And this is what we're about. We plant the seeds that will one day grow. We water the seeds already planted 
knowing they hold future promise. We lay foundations. Even in this community, like Johnny was saying last week, pillars that might stand in this community to lay foundations for future decades and generations. He goes on to say this, we lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that affects far beyond our own capabilities. We cannot do everything. And there is a sense of liberation in realizing this. It enables us to do something and to do it well. And it may be incomplete, but it is a beginning. It is a step along the way. It's an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder of this kingdom and the worker, the people, us. We are the workers, not the master builders, ministers or messiahs. We are prophets of a future that is not our own. I think those words are amazing. And Johnny spoke about that last week when he was talking about us being peacemakers. He said, we're a people from the future. In a sense, we're living for a future that we maybe cannot see right now. We're laying down foundations. And this is what sustains us when it's difficult and when we come up against opposition because we're part of something bigger than what we can see. We're part of something bigger than just the next week or the next year. We're laying foundations for generations to come when we live the way of Jesus. Oscar Romero prayed this, Lord, we know the world will kill your prophets. Nevertheless, give us words to convict, to heal, to raise up others for justice and to offer forgiveness for those who harm us. Amen. Oscar Romero's life just speaks to this whole topic today. I feel like the lesson for us today is this. Do you notice at the start of the Beatitudes, there's like a crowd. Jesus is speaking to the crowd. But then there's like only 12 disciples or there's 72. It's not a crowd. There's a small little cohort. I feel like to live the way of Jesus, to live as a beatitude people means we just got to stop paying attention to the crowd. We've got to stop paying attention to the expectations of our culture, to the expectations around us from even our own families. To be fully committed to the kingdom of God is a controversial thing. To give our all for the kingdom is a controversial thing and we will face opposition for the choices that we make, for the way that we spend our money, for the places, that we, the places where we live. We will face opposition for how we spend our time and what we invest our lives in and the choices we make on behalf of our own children. We will face opposition even from those close to us. But we should not listen to the crowd. We should listen to the one who's speaking of a different reality. Christ, the one who's painting God's reality before us. I feel like that's perhaps one of the main things that we can draw out of this whole series. As we, as we consider the opposition that comes when we live as the people of God. That we keep focused on what we're going forward into. What we're building toward. Truly we can say the kingdom of God is ours when we do that. I want to give you one more reason though before we finish why we might face opposition and why it's worth it. Not just because of righteousness like we've talked about. The vision, the right, the, to see the world the way it should be, to fight for that. That's what keeps us going. That's why we're facing opposition. But there's another reason as well in addition to that and it's found in the middle of the next beatitude. It says this, blessed are you when people insult you 
persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And in the middle of that little beatitude, there's this little phrase, because of me. And so Jesus, after like eight or nine verses, suddenly introduces himself into the whole mix. There's a critical shift that happens here in this very last beatitude. And all the rest of the Beatitudes can be explained from Hebrew scriptures. If you're a Jew listening to Jesus, they can all be explained. But then he says this, he makes this proposition, because of me, the Christ, if you follow me, you will face opposition. Up to this point, as I say, the teachings could be explained by the Hebrew scriptures, but the Beatitudes, these teachings about an alternative way of living actually have their finest expression in the life of Jesus himself. Jesus is not just the messenger. He actually embodies the whole mantra, the whole body of teaching that he brings in the Beatitudes. He embodies in his very life. It is because of Jesus, because of him, you will face opposition. Because you're connected to him, Not because you're just following these things that sort of work, like fighting for righteousness and they sort of have like a mechanical aspect to them in a sense. It's because they are, you're connected to the person of Jesus. It's because of him. And so here in this last beatitude, Jesus in a sense walks onto the stage. Maybe the reason he does this is because the people that were listening to him at the time were getting mocked for following this weird rabbi from Nazareth. Maybe they were getting persecuted and he was acknowledging that. But it's the same for us today. And it totally reframes the Beatitudes when we put Jesus right at the end of it, when he introduces himself into it. It's because of me. We know this in his life because he he is the one who faces the ultimate persecution He is murdered on a Roman cross for all that he stands for because it undermined and threatened the political forces and the authorities and the religious forces and authorities. Jesus lives this way of living out. So it's a perfect time to quote Frederick Nietzsche. (laughs) He says this, a man can endure almost any how if he has a why which is really true. So I asked the question of us today, what is our why? Beyond just the better world, one other why we have is our allegiance to Jesus. The why of our faith, the why of our faith is Jesus himself and our connection to him. This beatitude life comes to us from the future through Jesus Jesus is from the future in a sense. He's living it out in front of us. And when we're connected to him, we become this people of the future, this people of God's good future. Jesus is the one teaching these blessings and he's describing this new way of life, but he's the one that embodies it and shows us the example of this way. This is why our connection today, Redeemer to Jesus, is so important. Stanley Harwell says this, the Beatitudes are a description of a life of people, simple as this, the Beatitudes are a description of the life of a people gathered by and around Jesus. And that's all we really are in Redeemer. If you want a vision for who, people who are asking often some of our leaders, and vision's really important and I believe in it, but ultimately if we want a vision, we just want to be like Jesus.
We want to be like Jesus. In order to become like Jesus, we need to be connected to him. I love this quote by Dallas Willard, which says this. The condition of life sought for by human beings through the ages is attained in the quietly transforming friendship of Jesus. Let me read that again. The condition of life sought for by all human beings throughout the ages can be attained, if I put my own spin on it, in the quietly transforming friendship of Jesus. The Beatitudes, therefore, are proclamations that we are blessed because we are following Jesus. We are friends of Jesus. We are a Jesus community. These announcements are instructive in that they communicate to the hearers that many who are in a deplorable condition are blessed in spite of, in spite of this because the kingdom of heaven has been opened to them. Because of who? Because of Jesus. The doors of the kingdom have been opened because of Jesus. The kingdom of God is for the hopeless because of Jesus. And it's in our connection to Jesus that we find ourselves belonging as a people of the way, as a beatitude people, as a people of the kingdom, as the church. By following the, the teachings of the beatitudes, and valuing these values of the kingdom of God, we can see a different future. We can become a viable alternative to current day political, commercial, and religious power that can promise to provide what they feel to deliver. And it's all because we're connected <clears throat> to Jesus. So I'm going to summarize our series by reading a different description of this vision of what connection to Jesus and the way that he opens the kingdom up to those who previously excluded looks like. Listen to this summary of what the kingdom of God looks like in Jesus. Blessed are the physically repulsive. Blessed are those who have a bad smell, the twisted, the misshapen, the, de- the, de- the deformed, the too big and the too little, the too loud, the bald, the fat, the old. For they're all riotously celebrated in the party of Jesus. Then there's the crushed ones, the seriously crushed ones, the flunked outs, the dropouts, the burned outs, the broken, the broke, the drug head, the divorced, the HIV positive, the herpes ridden, the brain damaged, the incurably ill, the barren and the pregnant too many times or at the wrong time, the overemployed, underemployed, unemployed, unemployable, the swindled, the shoved aside, the replaced, the parents with children living on the streets, the children with parents living on the streets, the lonely, the incompetent, the stupid, the emotionally starved or emotionally dead and on and on and on is it true that earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal it is true that is precisely the gospel of heaven that comes to us through the beatitudes through the person of jesus you don't have to wait until you're dead to inherit the kingdom because in jesus you are blessed now with this reality even the moral disasters will be received by God because they have come to count on Jesus. The murderers and the child molesters, the brutal 
and the bigoted, the drug lords and the pornographers, the war criminals and the sadists, the terrorists, the perverted, the filthy and the filthy rich. We can feel sympathy for those who criticize Jesus because this type of open kingdom is a threat. It's unsettling. But it's the heart of God. It's the heart of God. The kingdom is open for everyone. The way of Jesus, the spirit of the world takes, the kingdom of God serves. The spirit of the world steals, the kingdom of God gives. The spirit of the world gloats, the kingdom of God blesses. The spirit of the world shows off, the kingdom of God loves. The spirit of the world is top down, the kingdom of God is bottom up. Ordinary people, everyone welcome. The spirit of God is for the strong, the spirit of the world is for the strong and the winners. The kingdom of God is for the humble and the forgotten. The spirit of the world is proud and ugly. The kingdom of God is humble and dignified and beautiful and disarming. The spirit of the world is to puff up and to humble brag. The kingdom of God is unseen like a mustard seed, like yeast it transforms. The spirit of the world kills. The kingdom of God persuades by love, by witness, by spirit, and sometimes by martyrdom, by persecution but never by force. Spirit of the world is cocky and confident and proud and seeks power, but it is that power that ultimately killed Jesus in the end. The threat of this upside, upside down kingdom of Jesus challenge, challenges the status quo of our day. And Jesus shows us at the cross that the ultimate act of love comes not through power or through strength, but through humility subjecting himself to the powers, playing the greatest reversal we've ever seen on the cross, where he does not return violence with violence and overpower, but through weakness and death, he subverts the spirit of this world and sets up a kingdom for everyone. This is our hope today. In Jesus, because of Jesus, we will face opposition but our hearts are rooted in a different kingdom to this one. Our hearts are not found in the powers of political gain or religious performance or wealth, but in the lives of ordinary people who seek Jesus and love the kingdom of God. And it's through that that God is changing the world. I'd love us to stand.